bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day and another opportunity to gather together as your children, rejoicing in your word and your spirit, knowing all that you've done for us through your precious Son. Help us never to be familiar with your blessings and your grace in our lives. We also ask for special prayers for Kingsley and his mother in Nigeria. You know the situation. We ask that you take care of things as only you can do. Father, we also pray for all those in our congregation that are sick and struggling. You know who they are and what they're dealing with. You know each person's heart. We ask that you be gracious and merciful to each of them. And most of all, you will be done to bring you the most glory. Father, again, we're thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, who made the ultimate sacrifice so that we would not have to be condemned for all eternity. We ask that you bless this study, help us learn more about you and him. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Okay, the introduction of the God-man. Part 2, uh, John 1, 1 through 18. You can turn to John 1, 1, please. As we noted on Sunday, this passage is not just the introduction to the Gospel of John. Bam, on the scene, right? It's not just the introduction to the Gospel of John. It's the introduction to the person of Jesus Christ in all his glory. There's nothing like this passage in the other Gospels. Um, remember, this is right after the Lord was on earth, died, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven. So this is like in the middle of it all. And John says, okay, now it's my turn to write a Gospel. And I'm going to tell you straight out the glory of the one that you're missing you're not believing. So in this passage, we see bold claims and statements about who the Lord is and even God's way of saving man through Christ. So look at John 1, 1 through 18. Let's just do a read through here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend or overcome it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So again, there's a whole lot in this passage. We could, we could be on this for months, uh, but we're seeing what the Spirit has for us in this short series. And on Sunday, we started in the beginning, back at John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. So twice it tells us that the Word was also around in the beginning, when on the board, in Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. That same phrase is used, so the Word who we know is God, and we know at this point is Jesus Christ, was around in the beginning when the creation occurred. So we can conclude the Word is also eternal, just like God is eternal. And on Sunday, the Spirit had us consider the relationship between the Word and the Spirit. The Spirit had us consider the relationship between the Word and the Spirit. We could go on and on here about how these words, how these uh, titles that God has given, uh, how they're used so interchangeably in these scriptures, like they're one and the same. So just keep that in mind here. God is trying to show us his uniqueness and his unity in, in all aspects of who he is. And again, we're talking about the relationship between the word and the spirit. The word is the very thinking of God what we might call his spirit. And the Bible says God is spirit, after all. He's not, you know, in, in the form of a limited substance or a physical body that he's limited to. The Bible says, and Jesus himself on the board, in John four twenty four, Jesus said, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him, worship in spirit and truth. So not only does the Lord tell us that God is spirit here on the board, but notice also spirit and truth are put together. So why are both necessary to worship God? Why is Jesus saying this is the proper way to worship God in spirit and truth? Spirit, this kind of came out on Sunday, and again, kind of open your heart a little bit, open your mind here like this is supernatural stuff. Um, I was thinking before class, you know, some of the stuff that I'm saying, I don't even know what I'm saying, in a way. Like, I don't, I don't fully appreciate or understand why, why he maybe, maybe has this in the notes. So just kind of, again, we've got to open our minds and hearts. This is all supernatural stuff. Spirit consists of thought. And the thoughts of a perfect God would rightly be called truth. Is that fair to say? How can we confidently call the word truth? unless it's perfect, right? We couldn't call it the truth. But because we have a perfect God and a perfect spirit behind it all, we have perfect truth in our possession. So his thought, the very thinking of God, is called his word. So on the board, we saw this on Sunday, 
God's thinking, God's word, was always with God and was God. That's what makes up God. His spirit, for example. In John 1.1 and John 4.24, what, what makes up any person? We talked about this on Sunday. A person's thinking, how they think, is the real you, so to speak. It's not our body or our appearance. Um, if we couldn't use our physical body, if we were paralyzed in some situation like that, it doesn't change who you are. You're the same person with the same heart. So it goes to show you how that's the real you. And we're made in God's image. We're made in God's image. And God is spirit. He didn't have a body until he chose to become Jesus Christ. So if we're made in God's image, what do you conclude? On the board in Proverbs 23, 7, part A, for as he thinks within himself, so is he. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. That's what makes up a person. And so it is with God in whose image we were created. So if you want to know God, get to know how he thinks and what's important to him. How else are you going to get to know? And when you get to know another person, think about it, when you get to know another person, how are you going to know them unless you spend time with them and figure out how they think and what's important to them? Will you ever really know them unless you, you know, break down that, those barriers and get to know them personally? You won't know them anything more than a, on a superficial level. So same thing with God. If we want to know him, we've got to get to know how he thinks. So on the board, regarding the spirit and the word, God's spirit, where his very thinking lies, that is what makes God who he is. Just like any of us who were created in his image. And thus, God has given us his word, truth in John 4, 24, which is his very thinking written down for our benefit. So the spirit, God's spirit, has perfect thought, perfect wisdom. And he says, I'm going to write this down. I'm going to speak it out for everyone to know both at creation, but also into, into the Word. So let this on the board sink in. You know, Think about the intimacy between God's Spirit and God's Word. Uh, dare we say there's a oneness there? Again, on the board, God's Spirit, where His very thinking lies, that is what makes God who He is just like any of us who were created in his image. And thus, God has given us his word, truth, which is his very thinking written down for our benefit. And in 1 Corinthians 2.16, it says we have the mind of Christ. And the spirit is called what? Sometimes the spirit of Christ. So again, there's a, a really deep, intimate oneness here where we, you know, maybe shouldn't even be separating them. It's the mystery of the Trinity, of course, but just think about the uh, uniqueness and how tied they are together. So once again, not only was the word around in the beginning, 
And not only was the Word with God, but the Word was God in John 1.1. So there's no room for misinterpretation or making the Word anything less than God Himself. If you're honest and you read that passage, it says the Word was God. So there's equality there. And in the Greek, we saw the Greek word order in John 1.1 Part C. It actually says God was the Word. God was the Word. So when we see things like this, that are even mysteries, like things that we can't really fully grasp here, but when we see things like this, we have to embrace it as plainly stated doctrine. Don't, don't live in the land of doubt, you know. Don't, if this is the first time you heard this, be like, that doesn't make sense, so I can't accept it. No, no, no. Stop trying to make sense. Stop trying to rationalize it and make it logical. God's not logical. I mean, he is, but you know what I mean. Like, he's way beyond, far beyond us. So stop doing that and just have the faith of a child. What does a child do? A child sees something and believes it and accepts it. So we're told to have that kind of faith. And when you see this, God was the word, just say okay and rejoice that you know the truth now in this area. So on the board in John 1.1, 1, 1, we saw the dramatic point is that they are one and the same. The word was God, or better yet, God was the word. So it's an amazing, powerful way for John to uh, introduce God as being the word. And in verses 2 and 3, he also calls the word he, a person. So let's read John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, the word in context, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So not only is the word called he, but by this person, the word, all things came into being. He's no slouch, this guy. <laughs> whoever, this, whoever this guy, this word is, right? That's funny. I wonder if uh, some of the rap songs, you know, they use the word word a lot, like word. I just wonder if they got it from here. No, really, you never know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so this is a person we're talking about. And it says the word, all things came into being by him. And on the board, we saw on Sunday also, the word is he. We have a special revelation by John of the incarnation of the word, namely God becoming flesh, revealing himself, his word, in an entirely different way than in the Old Testament. So we kind of get let in on the secret, told the full revelation of the word, in John 1.14. Uh, look again at John 1.14. So right now we're still doing review from Sunday. We've got a bit more review and then we'll kind of be getting some new points here. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So once again, we have some plainly stated doctrine to embrace. Stop trying to figure it all out. It says what it says. The Word was God. The Word became flesh, which has to mean God became flesh, right? 
if A equals B and B equals C, A equals C. So it's plainly stated. Don't be like an arrogant religious person who wants to be or appear smart or have, a, have their own you know, interpretation of it that no one else has. Um, don't be like the religions that deny his deity just to fit things into their own system of thinking. So it's only arrogance that tries to do this. So on, on, on the board, we saw this on Sunday again. Be on the alert. Only arrogant man motivated by a different spirit. Again, there are such things as demons, folks, and they're floating around. They're trying to influence people's thinking. So only an arrogant man motivated by a different spirit in 2 Corinthians 11.4 will try to discredit Jesus Christ from being who he really is. They'll call him a little god. They'll call him an angel. They'll call him a prophet, whatever, but they won't call him God in the flesh. And that's a different spirit, my friends. Even if they're the nicest person in the world, they've been deceived by a different spirit. So Holy Scripture tells us God himself has come to visit his people. And we see it in so many different ways throughout Scripture. It's really wonderful, but this is one way. God himself has come to visit his people. So turn again to Luke 7, and we'll start in verse 14. Luke 7, 14. So don't just let it slide when people... I mean, if there's any time to defend the Lord, it's when people discredit who he really is. So if you get the opportunity, speak up, even if you're laughed at. That doesn't matter. It's like state the truth. Luke seven fourteen, And he, Jesus, came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Again, I wonder if they understood what they actually said right there. But this statement is confirmed by Zacharias when the Spirit led him to prophesy at the birth of John the Baptist. Go to Luke one sixty seven. Luke one sixty seven. And I hope these verses give you more confidence in your relationship with Christ, but also things that you can share. Uh, Luke one sixty seven and sixty eight. And his father, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. It doesn't say a likeness of him, a representative of him visited us. It says God, the Lord God of Israel, has visited us. And look at Luke 176. And you, child, John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. Who's he going to go before? The Lord. It's not like a little Lord. It's not, it, this title, the title of the Lord is the same title of Jehovah, God of the Old Testament. 
And these verses are quoted from Old Testament verses that actually use words like Jehovah or Elohim. And they're assigned directly to Jesus Christ, who's the only one it could be talking about. Uh, on the board, Isaiah 40, verse 3. This is what this verse in Luke 1 was alluding to. And in Luke chapter 3, Luke quotes this exact verse about John the Baptist being the voice of who or for who. Let's see, right? A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. So the voice was John the Baptist. And who was he clearing the way for? Yahweh, Elohim, these Hebrew names for God from Isaiah 40, verse 3. So God has truly visited his people. Uh, so go back to John 1.14. John 1.14. That was all a little review. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So on the board, meet the God-man. What an introduction for Jesus Christ, who we now must conclude, if we're humble, he's the Lord God revealed in the flesh. Isaiah 40, verse 3, Luke 1, 68 and 76 John 1, 1 through 3, and verse 14, just to name a few. So we have this bold introduction of the God-man that you can't really escape who Jesus Christ really is. Also on the board, we saw this on Sunday. Holy Scripture reveals that all three members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, have a part in creation. So again, this is more proof of who Jesus Christ really is, being involved in creation itself. Uh, Genesis 1, 1 through 2, John 1, 3 we just read, and turn again to Colossians 1, verse 16. Colossians 1, 16. Since we're talking about Jesus Christ, let's just focus on uh, his work in the creation Colossians 1.16 For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And if you read in context in the passage, it's talking about Jesus Christ. All things. Just like in John 1.3, what do we read? All things came into being. Right By him, the Word. So the Apostle John, he wasn't shy about introducing Jesus Christ in his full glory. Go back to John 1, verse 4. John 1, verse 4. So then we see that the Word, who was also the Creator, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it. We saw Peter uniquely bring together Jesus as the light and the word after he recalled Jesus being transfigured before him. On the board in 2 Peter 1.19. So we have the prophetic word 
made more sure, to which you, you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. The light, the word, right? John 1, 3, the word, the creator, became the light of life. And here we have the same progression. Again, so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. What's the lamp shining in the dark place? The word that gives you the truth so that you don't fall for the lies, which is the darkness, right? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Who's the morning star? We saw on Sunday, that's Jesus Christ himself. His spirit arises in our hearts, along with the word. On the board in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And Jesus, as we talked about, stole this title away from Satan after Satan's rebellion. And then he becomes a man to show his light to the world. Again, so many analogies here bound up in one. But the truth, I want to know the truth. He wants to tell us the truth. He tells us the truth, and he did it in human form. He did it in like real life. He lived a life and showed us what truth is, what love is. Again, it really goes beyond words, but again, look at John 1, verse 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend or overcome it. Jesus Christ revealed true life to man, which includes eternal love, revealed in his light, the light of truth. We saw on Sunday what this life is all about, because it says in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And we got a little glimpse of that uh, in Romans 8, so hold your thumb here in John 1 and turn to Romans 8, verse 1. And I was talking to uh, Michelle after service on Sunday, and she reminded me of you know, there's a couple more verses in this chapter that go on. So we'll just see a couple more of those about the life that we're given. Verse 1, Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Notice it's the law of the Spirit of life. In Christ Jesus. Sounds like John 1. Look at verse 6, Romans 8, verse 6. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And notice it's the mind that has to be set on the spirit. The mind, the thought, thinking, the word, set on the spirit is life and peace. In verse 10 and 11. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. 
But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the de dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body, bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So there we see almost like a, an explanation of this life that we inherit through faith in Jesus Christ. So again, go back to John 1, verse 4. Did you hold your thumbs? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it. As an analogy, in verse 5, light conquers darkness. It overcomes darkness. Just like love conquers hate and truth conquers lies. The light shines into all kinds of darkness. Think about this. Think about all the different kinds of darkness in this world that the light and the love of Jesus Christ shines onto. We could probably make a really long list of all the types of deceptions, lies, hatred, anger, whatever. The light shines into all kinds of darkness, and the dark, darkness cannot overcome it. On the board, his life was the light. God's truth, God's word, became flesh and shined into the darkness. Like he gave us a real live example. His name was Jesus, and he revealed the very love of God to mankind. God is love in 1 John 4, 8, and 16. So think about it for a minute. God's perfect love was revealed in the life of a perfect man. The God-man, Jesus Christ. God's perfect love came forth in a perfect man to be displayed and lived out without error without error, always acting in perfect love, wisdom, righteousness, justice. And we have it, thank God, recorded in four Gospels because we couldn't all be there when he was on earth. But we have such descriptions. And inspired by the Spirit, we can know this man who was God, who perfectly lived out the life of love, God's love. So that's part of the glory of his light, of his life. And just like the sun shines on mankind each day, so the light of his love is available for all man to see in the person of Jesus Christ. He's not hidden. He's not hidden. He may be, you know, pressed down in certain countries, certain cultures. They'll try to hide him. There are certain countries that have religions that are anti-Christ, that dominate the land. But God has his way of getting this glorious person out for everyone to know before they die. So again, what an analogy we have in Jesus being called the bright morning star. We talked about the sun being a star on Sunday and how it's there bright and shining for us every single morning. It's an illustration. It's like a perfect illustration. A witness to the Lord's love and warmth and faithfulness every single day, without fail. 
despite your ugliness, despite your negativity, despite your lack of faith at times, there's the Son again for you to give you all these things, to offer all these things. And the one that receives it by faith receives all the, the life, we should say, huh? Receives the life that Jesus Christ offers. We saw the prophet Hosea allude to this in Hosea 6.3 in the NIV. He said, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. And also we saw in Matthew 17, turn to Matthew 17, verse 1. We also saw that Jesus' face shone like the sun. This again was the transfiguration that Peter wrote about. Matthew 17, 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. Do you think that's a coincidence that he decided to appear that way to man? On the board in Revelation 1.14, in the NIV, it says his head and his hair were white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. Obviously, we can't comprehend this, but what an illustration. That's Jesus Christ, who was a man, but was the Lord God in the flesh, the light of life. And once again, it all ties in so intimately and seamlessly. Um, and what we have to take from this, right? He is, he's the life in John 1, 4. If you want true life, you have to turn to the Lord in humility. You have to turn to the Word. That's who He is. He's the Word. You have to turn to the Word in humility for the very sustenance of life. Think about it. Like, I was eating a loaf of bread today, right? And you know one of those great loaves where you, it's not sliced around, you could just rip a piece off? Nice fresh bread. You think about how simple that is, but how wonderful that is. And that piece of bread can sustain you the whole day. And not many of us, you know, we get a little hangry after a couple hours, but you know what I mean. It's amazing that something so simple can sustain you. And that's the analogy we're given in the Word. He's the bread. He's the bread. Just eat of that simple, pure bread, and you'll be sustained. And he's the Word, the same person. So on the board, from Pastor's recent blog again on nutrition and ingredients labels, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. I am life. When you look at the word or you think about the word, you should see him. They're not, they're not separate. And then Pastor went on to say, uh, Jesus essentially stated that we've been given the perfect source of sustenance. Him. His very self. 
His Spirit. You're like, Jesus isn't here. I can't understand that. His Spirit is here. And His Spirit is in the Word. And His Spirit teaches you the Word. So it's Him. And it's a personal relationship. It's not words on a page. It's getting to know someone personally, intimately. Getting to know how they think, right? How they think, what they like, what they stand for. And we have that opportunity through the supernatural power of God. Again, Jesus essentially stated that we've been given the perfect source of sustenance, which is Him. And since He is the Word, just read the label, John 1.14, we've already read the label, you know that when you ingest Him, you are dining on the very bread of life. Again, we have to expand our minds a little bit, our hearts. We have to step back and say, okay, this is supernatural. When I ingest Him, when I ingest the Word, I'm dining on the very bread of life itself. It's what gives me strength, energy, wisdom, clarity, right? Peace through his very person. So Jesus is the bread of life. He's the word. And his life was the light of men. These things we know so far. So go back to John 1 verse 4. Are you still in John? No. John 1 4. And I hope you see how intimately these descriptions tie into one another. Just be open to that and their intimacy. John 1, 4 through 9. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. And just like every man can see the sun rise every morning, so every man can see the Lord. God's love is revealed in the fact that he's impartial. He doesn't play any favorites. His love is truly unconditional. So his life, this pure life that he shows us, that he has shown us, is offered to all men who will humbly receive him. All men, the worst to the best. You know, you can go into race, slave or free, rich or poor. That's, that's true unconditional love, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're always somewhat conditional. We're human. We're in the flesh. We try to have God's love, but we have our tendencies, and we put conditions on it, and we put favoritism on it with certain people. And we give a little more love to this person because we like them, but a little less love to this person because we don't really like them. And it's just not God. He's like the sun every day for all to get soaked in if they want to. So let's see what the light said about this in Matthew five forty three. Turn to Matthew 5, verse 43. And, I mean, we just read in John 1, 9, he's the true light who enlightens every man. Why? Because he's love. 
Matthew 5:43. Jesus speaking, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he, your Father, your perfect Father, causes his Son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We would say, that's not fair. He doesn't deserve it. He's a thief. You know, he robbed my family. Uh, you know, he, whatever he does. <laughs> you know, you get the point. They're, these are people that you don't like, you don't want to be around, let's say, right? Someone hurt you personally, then it, then it gets personal. And now you have to separate and show them kindness anyway? Yep. Didn't your Heavenly Father show you kindness? Who was not? a disgusting, rebellious sinner before salvation. So again, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is the same God that loves, says, love your enemy. This is the light of unconditional love. It's a thing that is foreign to mankind, but now it's known to all men through a person that we can point to, that we can know what he said now, even. We can know his very thinking, the mind of Christ. And he enlightens every man. Some people are going to, you know, block the sun. But he fairly enlightens every man. So if you have trouble loving the unlovely or your enemies, loving unbelievers, well, you're out of line you're against your very own father's grace who gave you the same grace that he's asking you to copy him and all we have to do is follow our father's example it's not rocket science it's the faith of a child my dad does this so I'm going to do it too I'm going to let my son whatever light I have shine on everyone equally unbiased. That's God. That's God's love. So in God's faithfulness and impartiality, unbelievers also get to see the light. In God's faithfulness and impartiality, unbelievers also get to see the light, just like God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Unbelievable. He's revealed his person as boldly and as freely as the Son, full of love. Now, when this light shines, it's really bright, and you can see everything. And this is where arrogant people get stuck. Uh, through the true light shining in the darkness of this world, every man's sin has been revealed also. And the humble will accept the forgiveness that's shining down on them, but the arrogant will not. Um, William McDonald, we saw on Sunday, on John 1.9. He writes, By his coming into the world as the perfect man, he has shown how imperfect other men are. When a room is in darkness, you do not see the dust on the furniture. Us bachelors know that, right? When, 
Look, my house is clean. Look at it. It's great. Turn up, pull up the blinds, covered in dust. But when the light goes on, the room is seen as it actually is. And you're like, oh, you know, I am dirty. I am sinful. I am not a good person like I thought I was. The light has shined. So that floodlight and God's goodness uh, reveals the sinfulness and helplessness of man, which is a good thing. We know, except for the arrogant. Only by turning to the light, to the one who is truly good, can man be rescued from his darkness. And as we've seen in John 1, only the light can overcome the darkness. So turn to John 1, verse 9. John 1, 9. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. This grand introduction of the God-man continues, and it tells us that he was in the world, even though the world was actually made by him. So the Creator visited his own planet Earth, revealing himself to man, and man doubted who he was, even though there was plenty of heads up hundreds of years, and even hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament. But even God's own people, the Jews, did not recognize him, as they should have known him from the prophecies about their own Messiah in their own writings. So on the board, Jews, open your eyes. Now we could say this to anyone who doubts the appearance of Jesus Christ being the God-man. For example, Jehovah's Witnesses. Right? But in this case, in context, in John chapter 1, his own received him not. His own people, the Jews, he was Jewish. They did not receive him. So Jews, open your eyes. Your own prophets predicted a child would be born in the tiny town of Bethlehem in Micah 5.2. And his name, the name of the child, the name of the baby, would be called Mighty God and Eternal Father in Isaiah 9.6. Turn to Micah 5, verse 2. Micah 5, verse 2. This is part of defending the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's not, the Bible's not wishy-washy about who he is or confusing. It's very plain. Micah 5, verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. In other words, this town was so small it was not mentioned. It was not known. You, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now we know he's different. You know, look at the middle of the verse there. From, from you, one will go forth for me. So there's two people here. One will go forth for me. But we know he's not less than God. He's from eternity. So more support for the Trinity. Turn to Isaiah 9, verse 6. 
Isaiah 9, verse 6. Again, the point on the board, Jews, open your eyes. Your own prophets predicted a child would be born in the tiny town of Bethlehem, and his name would be called Mighty God and Eternal Father. Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name, again, the name of the child, will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Didn't Jesus say, I and the Father are one? Didn't Jesus say to Philip, I think it was, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father? And here we have the child called Eternal Father and Mighty God. Does it get any clearer that the Messiah would actually be God himself in the flesh one day? And on the board, again, Jews, open your eyes. Your own prophets predicted a child would be born of a virgin, and his name would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Go to Isaiah 7, verse 14. Your own prophets said a child would be born of a virgin. This was written 700 years before Christ was ever born. And his name would be Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And on the board, we have the fulfillment of this in uh, Matthew 1, 23. When Mary gave birth to Jesus, it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So sticking to our topic, the Word became flesh. Jesus Christ is the Word. The Word was God. Through this child, God literally was with us. God has visited his people. Yet the majority of Jews turned a blind eye to their own prophets, as people do today. But the light was too bright for them. They didn't want to change their ways. They didn't want to have to answer to anybody, even their own creator. So on the board, we call this little saying, turning a blind eye. And it's from pride. It's from pride. You know, pride makes you stupid, right? How does somebody say no to the plain statements of Scripture we've seen about who Jesus really is? I mean, unless you, you know, can't think for yourself, you, you can see what it says. And some very intelligent people, I was thinking about this earlier today, some extremely intelligent people, scientists, professors, and the like, will deny these verses. Why? It has to be pride. It's the only thing that blinds us because we have our own agenda. So on the board, pride has a way of pushing away God's goodness. Just as even we believers fall into quenching the Spirit from time to time. Why do we do that? So we can continue to get our own way or do it the way we want? But it's simply foolishness. So despite the direct and obvious scriptures about their Messiah, the Jews went on in the stubbornness of their religiosity 
and their own attempts at pleasing God. They liked having their own attempts at pleasing God, just like everyone in religion does today. I like the fact that I can think I'm earning my way with God and I can think I'm better than other people. So I'm going to stay in that. I don't want, I don't want this grace thing because I don't get any credit. I want to be involved. And that's what's going on, the pride. Like, look at me. How foolish, choosing to remain in the darkness. There's no dust in my furniture. I know you just pulled up shades, but there's no dust in my furniture. I don't see what you're talking about. You know, the person's doing this, right? It's like an inch on their finger. What are you talking about? I don't see it. Pride. The glory of the Son of God in their very presence, the presence of the Jews. But pride made most of them reject him. Just as today men do not want to be confronted about their sin, challenged as, as to what's right and wrong, and so they choose to stay in the darkness despite the good news of the God and Savior who came to save them, the life, the new life he offered them. And that's, that's really the saddest thing in this life to contemplate. You know, and it's good for us to do it, even though it's not always fun, but... God did it. Jesus did it. You know, contemplating um, the unsaved and those that reject him and crying over them. Those are all good things, spiritual things that actually you share the heart of God in. But either way, it, it is like the saddest thing that these people choose to turn a blind eye. But God is amazing. Like God can change anybody which is why we never give up hope, right? We never give up hope. You might be praying for somebody for 90 years, and on their bed, on their deathbed, you might get to see them repent. That might happen. But it took 90 years of prayer. Is that a divinely good thing or what? Does it involve some suffering or sadness? Sure does but it's like a divinely good thing. We're talking about what is good, right? Jesus wept. Paul wept over his own people rejecting their own Messiah. A divinely good thing. Who knows what God is working out in us and, and in, in them too, by our witness. And so we just go one day at a time, just like the Lord did, right? without partiality, loving others without partiality. All, all to God's glory. The good news is that some people did receive him. And his word cannot come back void or empty. It has to produce some fruit. It has to. Even with the negative volition of man, it will not come back empty. And so some people did receive him. Look at John 1, verse 12 and 13. John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We're going to get into this a little bit more on Thursday evening, hopefully. So some did receive him, 
And how did they receive him? By believing in his name. And that word believe, it actually means to entrust. It means they trusted in him to save their life. That's really what salvation is. And the result is being born again, isn't it? We see it here too, as we saw in John chapter 3 a few weeks ago. The result here is being born of God. Just like in John 3, you were born of the Spirit, who is God, and you're born again. So we'll see more about this on um, Thursday. The one thing I want to close with is this. You see in John 1.12 it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That Greek word for received is not what it appears to be. Because when, you, when we say receive someone, it's like a passive thing. You know what I mean? It's passive. You receive. You, you, you passively receive something that comes to you. But this word, actually in the Greek, it actually means to take hold of. It's actually in the active voice on the board. Turning to Christ. The Greek word for received is lambano, and it's not passive at all, as the English word implies. It's in the active voice, and it means to take hold of, in John 1.12. So in other words, these people realized the light when they saw him, and jumped at the chance to be saved by him. They embraced it actively. They took hold of him by grace through faith. So some did receive him, thank God. Some did take hold of him. And we rejoice in that. And God's got it all worked out and all planned out. So we'll close on that note and we'll uh, pick it up right there on Thursday. Um, a little hint for you on Thursday, if you want. Go home and read Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Has to do with this point on the board. All right, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is amazing. We thank you for your own thoughts written down for our benefit and taught to us by your own spirit. Father, help us to open our hearts and minds to the supernatural things of who you are, how you think. Help us really get to know you as a person, as our very own God and Savior. We thank you for all the blessings you give us. We ask that you help us take your word out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.